Welcome, and thank you for downloading Movement Christian Church's sermon podcast. Here at Movement, we are passionate about God's Word and helping each other move closer to God. Thank you for choosing to grow with us today. And now, here's our lead minister, Bobby Wallace. I want to uh, continue, actually we're going to wrap up our series today about the kingdom of God and um, we're talking today about the crown. But before we get into that, I want to tell you a little bit about when I was in high school. Um, I went to a, a fairly small high school in eastern North Carolina, Northside Panthers, whoop whoop. Um, if you're an NBA fan, we are the alma mater uh, for the first three years anyway of uh, Bam Adebayo, I don't know if you might know him, Miami Heat. Uh, you should. If you don't, you should know him. He's good. He's good. He's underrated. But anyway, so I went to high school many years before he ever thought about high school, probably before he was thought about. And when it was senior year time, it came time for the senior superlatives. You guys remember those? I don't know if they have those anymore because kids can't be recognized above each other, I guess. Everybody gets a trophy, right? I'm sorry. That's, I shouldn't say that. It's just my commentary. But when it came time for senior superlatives, I had some friends, uh, my English class met where the yearbook staff met. And so I had a lot of friends that were on yearbook staff, and so I had an inside track. And so they started talking about, they gave you nominations and said, who's been nominated? And then my friends were kind of letting me know how I was doing. And I'll, I'll let you know the categories that I was, had a really good shot in. Um, I know y'all are thinking best looking. I know, I know. But it wasn't that one. It was like, it was too on the nose. So they were like, we just can't, we can't put him up for that. But no, uh, one of them was uh, best eyes. Yeah. And one of them was best all around. And it ain't because I'm round like a shape. That was, I was not like that then, like a circle. But it was best all around. And then, oh man, uh, I forgot what the other one was. But anyway, there was a third one. And so I was, you know, I, I was trying to be real low-key, and I was trying to act like I wasn't excited, you know, I was like, yeah, you know, it was whatever. And so it comes down to it, and, I, and they were letting me know, it's like, oh, man, you're first and second. They said, we're not going to tell you which one you are, but you're in first or second place in, in two or three of these categories. And so I was excited. I was like, I was just trying to keep it real, real, you know, be real chill. And I didn't want anybody to know I was, you know, really thinking about it. But then it comes down time. They announce the senior superlatives. I ain't getting nary one. <laughs> took my yearbook and ripped it in half you know ah, you know I'm kidding but for a moment for a few moments for a few days for a few weeks I was walking around like royalty you know I was thinking here I am I'm going to be best all around I'm going to have the best eyes and I really I, I was thinking about it this morning I can't remember what that third one was that I was up for in the runnings but anyway God's punishing me for joking I was best looking so that's why he, he said I'm going to strike it from your memory but anyway I was so excited. I think, man, I am royalty. I am it. And then when it came time for the awards to be given out, I was the jester. I was the fool because I didn't get any of them. And thankfully, I didn't go around talking about it a lot. I didn't tell a lot of people. Like I said, I was, I was celebrating on the inside. I was, you know, I was like Deion Sanders, you know, marching in, high-stepping into the end zone. And then, you know, I fumbled at the goal line is what it felt like. And we've been talking about the kingdom of God over these past few weeks. And we've been talking about how if you have a kingdom, you can't have a kingdom without a king. And I think it goes without saying, and we've talked about it, and we've alluded to it a little bit, that the king of our kingdom is Jesus Christ. 
But in every kingdom, it doesn't matter what kind of kingdom it is, in every kingdom there are always people that are trying to take over the kingdom or they're trying to build up rival kingdoms. And they're trying to set up their little kingdom and maybe, you know, they're trying to go unnoticed on the side and they feel like I can gain a little power and then maybe I can overtake this kingdom. And it may sound crazy to think about that, especially if you've got some church experience. It may sound crazy to do that, but in all reality, in all honesty, all of us at one time or another have tried to build up or are building up right now our own little kingdoms that we might not ever utter and say, oh, I'm going to overthrow the kingdom of God. But the way that we live our lives and the choices we make tells a different story. And we're trying to overthrow the kingdom of God or trying to usurp power from God. There's an old folk tale that I remember learning as a young kid that I've always thought was so funny and amazing. And as I grew up and began to learn the whole meaning of it, it's just really always kind of hit me between the eyes. But it's the Emperor's New Clothes. Do you remember that? Anybody remember that story? The Emperor's New Clothes. In case you haven't heard it, the real quick version is there was this king who really prided himself on his outfits. And he was always thinking he was the best dressed ever. And so these... Uh, these guys come along and they end up tricking him into saying, we're going to sew you the most fine set of clothes you could ever have. The finest set that anybody's ever had, so much so that you have to be of a certain caliber of person to recognize or even see them. If you're below a certain class, you're not going to even be able to see these clothes. And so they sat there and they sat at the spinning wheel, the loom all this time, and they were doing nothing. And people would come by and check and they'd be like, well, I don't see anything. It's like, well, you must not be up to standards. Now, this is my version of it. This is roughly it. And so they're looking, but there's nothing on there. There's no thread. There's no material on there. And it comes time for him to put on this new suit. And he's looking, and, you know, the king's probably thinking in his mind, I don't see anything, but ain't no way I'm going to tell people I don't see anything because I am the king. I've got the highest standard. So I, if anybody can see it, I can see it. And so they put this set of clothes on him, and he's really basically starting naked. And he goes out in the middle of town, and he's parading around. And a lot of people are sitting there, they'll be like, they don't want to look like they're low class. And so they're like, oh, splendid, marvelous. <laughs> and they're doing all this kind of stuff, right? And I don't know if they're British or not. I don't even know if that was British. But they're like, splendid, marvelous. And they're cheering on. Oh, look, it's the most beautiful set of clothes ever. Oh, huzzah, and all this stuff. <laughs> but finally, a little boy points at him and is like, he naked. <laughs> you know? <laughs> I'm from the country, so you say naked, um, N-E-K-K-I-D. And so he said, he's naked because he just was honest and real. And so he just points out he's not wearing anything. And that's the way that we are sometimes. We build ourselves up and we put on our, our fine set of clothes and we build up our kingdom and we build up and make our crowns and we say, I am the king or queen of my little kingdom. And maybe one day my kingdom is going to be bigger than your kingdom. All the while. We're a mess, and maybe we're, like the scripture talks about, we're poor, pitiful, blind, and naked. And we make these crowns. We make these crowns that we think are beautiful and shiny, and we crown ourselves royalty. And so I want us to look this morning at some of the crowns that come into play in this kingdom. I've got to test my balancing skills here. But we've got a few of these crowns. I want us to, I've got some visual aids here for you this morning. The first one is the crown of comfort. Here's the crown of comfort. All right. So we put on this little crown of comfort. I have a big head. Do not judge me. 
This is really the size of a spare tire, and it looks this small on my head. But the crown of comfort we see in many places in Scripture and in our lives. And in Scripture, a couple places just to help you visualize what this crown really would look like in people's attitudes and hearts is you can think about the Pharisees and the Sadducees. You remember them? They were the religious leaders of the time during Jesus' reign, during Jesus' ministry on earth. And the religious leaders were always at odds with Jesus and his kingship. They always wanted to make sure they kept their power, their place, because they liked being comfortable. And if you remember the story of Lazarus, you remember Jesus' friend that he raised from the grave? Just after Lazarus was raised from the grave by Jesus, from the dead, been in there four days, surely he stinks. I mean, they believed that the spirit could hang on for about three days around the body, but after that there was no possible resurrection, so Jesus waited four. He goes and raises him up from the dead, and here's what happens right after he's resurrected. These religious leaders respond in John chapter 11, beginning in verse 47, it says this. So the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered around the council and said, What are we to do? For this man, Jesus, performs many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him, and the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. Okay, it says they know that he performs many signs. They did not say he was a fraud, did they? It says they know he performs many signs. They saw Lazarus walking around. Everybody knew the people of that time did not pass up a good funeral. You know, they did not pass up a good funeral. They, they let everybody know. They had professional mourners that would wail and weep and make a sound. Everybody knew Lazarus had been dead. And everybody, in a, just a short time, knew that Lazarus hopped out of that grave, wrapped in his grave wrappings, and was alive. They knew that he had been dead and was now alive. And so instead of falling on their knees and repenting and following Jesus, they said, what can we do to shut him up? Because we might lose our place and our nation, our place of power, our place of being lifted up, our own little crowns of comfort. Because we like where we are, we like how things are, we like having people look at us and say certain things, and we don't like having the hard work of repenting and following Jesus, if we want to be really honest. And you see that in Scripture they knew he had been dead, but they would not admit the truth that Jesus had raised him up, even though they knew it was true. And you and I can fall in that same trap. We fall in that same trap when we feel the threat of being deposed as a king or a queen of our kingdom, our place of comfort. We rebel. We, we push back. We, we push back with our lives. We like the lack of challenge. Of being able to sort of skate through in our spiritual walk with God. Let's keep it just as simple and as surface as I can. If anybody says you need to go deeper or you need to turn around from the way you're going, they get up, we get upset because we like our comfort. You know, the law of inertia or the idea of inertia is, is the idea that a body at rest tends to stay at rest or a body in motion tends to stay at motion. And we really can look at our lives sometimes and see the idea of spiritual inertia. When we are just sort of set in our ways spiritually, it's hard to get going, isn't it? That's why we call our church movement church because we don't believe we should ever try purposely to stand still in our faith. We need to always be looking for the next move that we can take to move closer to God because we are imperfect people who mess up and stumble and fall and we like to wallow in those mud holes that we fall in sometimes. But we got to keep moving and so we cannot give in to spiritual inertia. 
We want, hello? That's my son, so I can call him out. <laughs> He's going to be real happy with me after that. We want enough Jesus to save us, but not enough Jesus to change our lives. We want enough Jesus to save us, but we don't want enough Jesus to change our lifestyle. We might phrase it like this, I want to go to heaven. I want my kids or my parents or my friends or my family to go to heaven, but tell my friends and my family and my neighbors about Jesus? Nah, I'm good. Because we like to wear our crowns of comfort. We like to be the king or the queen of our own little kingdom. So we polish our, our sad little crown and we relax and kick our feet up spiritually and we sit comfortable. We sit comfortable. So we've got that crown. We sit and we look and we judge other people in their crowns. But we've got other crowns that we like to wear sometimes. The crown of control. And you could give this one another name. You could call this control or AKA fear. We like to wear our crown of control or fear because we don't like when things get out of our control and out of our reach and out of our grasp. And we want to be in the driver's seat. We want to make the decisions. If there's an unknown, we want to know it. We want to know what's going to happen tomorrow. We want to know what's going to happen before we step up. We emote fear and control in very different ways. When we feel fear, many of us respond different ways. Some of us scream in terror. Some of us scream in terror. Now, this isn't, a lot of my references, unfortunately, go back to the 90s and the 80s, but I'm going to give you one that's still old, but it's 2000s, okay? Um, does anybody remember the show Psych? Three of you. Three of y'all. Good, good, good. Well, there was this character, Gus. I love Gus. He's the best friend of the main guy, Psych. And anytime there's any bit of danger, he screams and, ah! and just runs away. That's what he does. And some of us respond in fear. That's what we do. We, we run away. We may not scream, but we get out of the situation as quick as we can. You know, the whole flight or, you know, fight thing. We are the flight people, and we run, we hide, and we get out of the situation, whether it be in a relationship or whether it be in, in, in anything. We, we get afraid, so we re react in terror, and we get out of the situation. But not all of us react in terror. There are some of us who, i I'll be honest, I tend to be this way. And it took me a long time to realize what it was. When I get afraid, my first response many times is anger. You ever, you ever realize that in yourself? Am I the only psychopath? <laughs> I, I get angry sometimes when I get afraid. And here's how it started to really come to my understanding. It's when my kids were, when I first started having kids, and then we kept on. I, we were having kids, and when my children get hurt, and I still struggle with it. When my children get hurt, my first response is anger. Not at them, but, you know, like if a brother trips a brother, you know, my first response sometimes is not to run and, and pick up the one that's hurt, but to turn to the one who did the hurting. And I'm like, Rah! you know, and, you know, and you better believe if it's somebody outside of the family, my first reaction is going to want to be, Rah! you know, if they hurt my child. But then I started realizing that if I felt like I was being left out or abandoned, you know what response I had? Fear. And you know how that showed out? Anger. And many of us, we do that. Now, we all do it in different ways, but we still like to have control because we don't like fear. We want to be the boss. If you look in Scripture, you see a couple ways that you see this. The disciples. 
When Jesus was arrested that night in the garden, when he was betrayed by Judas, what did all the disciples do? They ran, they hid, they fled. And their fear showed up in other ways, not just that night in the garden. There were many times that they argued about their place in God's coming kingdom. And you know where that comes from? A place of fear. They wanted to make sure that they had the power, that they had the control. You know, all of them walked away from families. They walked away from livelihoods. And what do you think they were worried about as it was coming down? It looked like the end of Jesus' ministry as things started to fall apart. They're like, did I give it all up for nothing? They had fear, and so they were, they were operating by fear. They were responding out of fear, and they thought maybe they had given up everything for nothing. They ran at the crucifixion. Judas betrayed him, but Peter denied him, and every single one of them fled. Peter followed at a distance, but he still fled, and then he denied him right in the face of the crowd of people that were there. But one of the quickest and clear-cut examples of fear that I see in Scripture that I want to talk about for just a second are the guards at the tomb. If you look in the Gospel account, Matthew 28, you can look at the Scripture up here on your screen, beginning in verse 11. It says, While they were going, behold, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priests all that had taken place after Jesus had resurrected. This is where we're picking up. And when they had assembled with the elders and then taken in counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, Tell people his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and they did as they were directed. And this story has been spread among the Jews to this day. The, the guards saw Jesus walk out of the tomb. We know from the accounts that it says when the angels appeared, they became like dead men. They were terrified, and they saw Jesus walk out of the tomb. And yet still, when they went, they told what happened. They told the truth to the religious leaders, but they reacted out of fear. And they kept their mouth shut. And you might say, oh, well, they gave them money. But I want to ask you to think with me honestly and reasonably for just a second. If you were there at the tomb the day that Jesus rose from the grave, do you think there's enough money in the world to keep you quiet? Fear controlled those guys. They were terrified of losing their life, their job, everything that they had because for a Roman soldier to fall down the job was certainly death. It was certainly at least being ostracized. It was certainly at least not having any shame, not having, having being covered in shame in the community. They did not respond necessarily only because of money, but also out of fear. And fear of the unknown can paralyze you and I. Fear of the unknown can paralyze us. If we can't control the situation, we'd rather avoid it because we want to have the say-so. We fear that maybe God won't hold up his end of the bargain. We think, if I give God my all, what will I miss out on? If I sacrifice some of the best years of my life to follow Jesus, what will I miss out on? We fear the cost of, of friendships if we seem too radical in our faith. Is anybody going to want to be around me? If I follow Jesus too literally and too honestly, we fear that if we give to God first, there won't be enough to live on when there's not already enough to live on. Now because we spend like crazy people, <laughs> you know? So let's try it his way. Let's follow him. Let's trust him. How about we try something radical and give God the control over every part of our lives, even our bank accounts, and try it his way. We fear rejection from people if we, if we talk about Jesus we ignore the truth that people be, will be rejected by God if we don't talk about Jesus. We said something there. 
we struggle and ignore the truth because we're afraid of talking about Jesus because we're afraid of being rejected by people. But the truth is, is that if we don't talk about Jesus, there are people who will be rejected by God on the day of judgment. So we have to speak up and not be rolled by control and fear and put these little crowns on our head. And so we sit back still and we polish our little crowns that we've made ourselves. And we, we celebrate our little kingdoms and our little cardboard castles and kingdoms. And we can wear these crowns of comfort and control. And we can think that we've got it all going on and we're flying under the radar and that we're the king of our little or the queen of our little kingdom. And we're just enough in the kingdom of God, but we're still got our kingdoms. But the only crown that really matters in all of this is the crown of thorns. The crown of thorns is the true crown that really matters and changes everything. We can make our little crowns of control and comfort, and maybe you've got 13 others you can think of. But the crown of thorns is what really, truly makes all the difference. Do we know what the crown of thorns means? It says in Mark chapter 15, beginning in verse 17, And they clothed him in a purple cloak, and twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on him, and they began to salute him, Hail, King of the Jews! And they were striking his head with a reed and spitting on him and kneeling down in homage to him, fake homage. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the purple cloak and they put his own clothes on him and they led him out to crucify him. They wanted to make a mockery of him, so they put this crown of thorns on him, not knowing that it was going to be the symbol of our freedom. That this crown that they thought was a joke just showed that he was the king of kings and the lord of lords. The crown that was meant for mockery made a way for you and I to be saved. And the blood that Jesus spilled purchased our freedom that we don't deserve. And the nails that held him there were just for show. <laughs> because it was his love that held him to the cross for you and I. Those nails were a joke. His power then wouldn't let him stay in that grave, would it? Death tried to hold him down. And on Friday, as we've always heard that powerful, powerful sermon, it's Friday, but Sunday's coming. And on Sunday, y'all, <laughs> on Sunday, everything changed. On Sunday, the grave burst open, light poured out, death was no more. Jesus was and is alive. And you and I, you and I are alive if we are in him. And death no longer has mastery over him. Death no longer has power. Where, O oh, death, is your victory? Where, O oh, death, is your sting? Thanks be to God, there is no more victory in death. Jesus is alive, and the crown of thorns is the one that really, truly changes everything. Jesus' death affords him the power over everything. You think you got a kingdom? You ain't got nothing. But you can be a part of his kingdom. 
that really lasts, that really matters, that really changes lives. His death and his resurrection gave him power over the king and made him the king of the kingdom. And if you want a kingdom for your own, go and die for it. But you better be ready to come back to life too. Because otherwise you don't have a kingdom. It's time for us to understand that it's his kingdom, that he has earned it, he's paid for it, he's purchased us with his blood, and he is alive and gives us life. It's not the other way around. But listen to the description of the king who wore the crown of thorns just a little bit later. It's described here. I'm running out of places. It's described here as a different kind of crown. It says in Revelation 19, verse 11, Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, the one sitting on it called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems or crowns. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood. And the name by which he is called is the word of God. And the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. And I want you to think about for a second, this is a king that's worth following. This is a king that's described here as worth ruling and having power. You and I don't have a claim to a crown or a throne because he is the only one who deserves it. And he's the only one that is fit to wear the crown. But did you notice... Did you notice what it said? It said he's wearing many crowns. And I, I'll tell you here, I don't know if this is exactly what it means, but this is what I think it means. I believe first and foremost it could have been talking about all the other so-called kings of this world that have ever been a king or a queen. And that maybe he's taken their, their crowns from them because they're not fit to wear them. And then maybe also besides that, maybe it's the little crowns that you and I make and it's like he's taking those things. It's like when you lay those things down, he's going to take them and he deserves all the crowns. All the crowns that we've ever put on our heads, he stacks them up and he's got many crowns because he is the one who is fit to wear the crown. There are many crowns that you and I have and we've tried to put in our place of power. But Jesus is the only one. He is the one who deserves a crown. And here's the truth. Here's why I think that maybe the many crowns that he's wearing are those of ours that have been cast down. Because it says in Philippians chapter 2 that every knee will bow. In verse 9 it says, Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that in the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And so I believe that if you ever have put a crown on that I know one day that you will bow your knee. And that you'll take that crown and you'll lay it down at his feet. And that you will lay it down at his feet. But the problem is, or not the problem, because we've already got a solution. 
the truth is, is that you can lay it down now and you don't have anything to worry about. One day, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. And if you do it, if you wait too late to do it, you won't reap the benefits. But if you take your crown off now and you bow your knee now and you confess him now, you can be free and you can be a part of his kingdom. And that's what it's all about. And so we lay these crowns down now at the feet of Jesus. They're not worth anything anyway. We lay them down at his feet. But the question is, are we going to do it now or are we going to do it later? Are we going to do it now or are we going to do it later? Because right now we have the opportunity to trade in these crowns, these makeshift little shams of a crown and shams of a kingdom. We can trade them right in now. For the crown of life. For the crown of life. Now even this is just a poor facsimile for the crown of life. It's more valuable than the ones that we made. It's a little shinier than those. But the crown of life that we wear or that we will have the opportunity to wear is one that is beyond anything we could ever imagine on this earth. And it says in James chapter 1 verse 12, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. So you don't have to be good enough. You don't have to be perfect. You don't have to be sinless because you're all, all of us are full of sin. We've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You don't have to be any of that. All you have to do is cling to Jesus and hold on. Cling to him and hold on and you get the crown of life. And then it goes on in Revelation 2 uh, uh, verse 10. I'll call it part B. Be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. Be faithful until the end. Hold on and cling to Jesus and this crown will be yours. We can try our luck building our little kingdoms all we want and fashioning our little crowns with our desires, our wants, our preferences. Or like we talked about a couple weeks ago, going around adding new gates and new doors to the kingdom of God, deciding who gets in and who doesn't. When God has told us that the gates are open and we're supposed to go and invite anybody and everybody to come in and enter these gates, we can go around thinking we've got control, thinking that we are comfortable, but we've got to take now his offer of the crown of life. And so the choice is yours. The choice is mine. Today, do you have an opportunity for the crown of life? You don't have forever to decide. God has said that he was sending his son. He promised for thousands of years, I'm sending my son, the Messiah. He's going to come. And guess what? He came. God said through Jesus that he would die on the cross and rise again. And guess what he did? He died on the cross and he rose again. Jesus said that he would return one day and take his church home and give all those that had followed him a crown of life. And guess what? If he's been true to his word every single time, what do you think he's going to do this time? He's coming back. And he's, you better be ready. I better be ready. You don't have to be perfect. You don't have to get your life straight. You just cling to Jesus and hold on and be faithful to the end. But the question is, when Jesus comes, 
whose crown will you be wearing? I love y'all. <laughs> Some of y'all I don't even know yet. But I love you. Because I know that God loves you. God loves us so much that he sent Jesus to die for us and take away our sin and take away our shame. And if today you don't know about your relationship with Jesus, you don't know if you're going to be getting a crown of life or that you're going to be showing up looking like a crazy person in one of these. If you don't know the answer to that question, I would love to talk with you about that. There are many other people here today that would love to talk with you about that. But the Bible simply says that if you believe that Jesus is the one who truly deserves to wear the crown and will give a crown of life to you and I, then you just turn away from where you've been and you turn to him and follow him. That's called repentance. And that you confess him as the one who has that name that only he can bear, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. You tell anybody and everybody that will listen that he is king and he wants, he's going to be Lord of your life. And then you meet him in the watery grave of baptism where you're lowered down and your sins are washed away by the power of God through the Holy Spirit. He gives you the Holy Spirit to dwell in him and you come up out of the water free and clean and new and all set to wear a shiny new crown. And all you got to do is hold on, cling to Jesus. So let's cling to Jesus starting today. If somebody today is outside of Jesus, I want to make that right. What better day to be raised up to new life than the day that we celebrate Jesus raising up out of that grave? Today's the day of salvation. Today is your day. Let's celebrate him. Let's stand with him. Thank you for listening to Movement Christian Church's Sermon Podcast. Want to learn more about us? You can do that by visiting our website at movementchristianchurch.com or on our app available on iOS and Android devices under Movement NC.